0: I went to the dentist this week for the first time in about 15 years. Oh, that sounds rough. It was not pretty. No, no, no. I came home with a fat lip or a pair of fat lips like a flowerpot man. <laughs> <laughs> I want a selfie next time that happens. I took a funny video, which I might share with you, but it's definitely never to uh, be published to the public. I definitely would never do that. Yeah. I don't know. So I, I had this horrible like, cleaning procedure done. It wasn't that bad, actually. I'd psyched myself up that it was going to be awful, and in the end, you know, I was laying back in the chair, and there was a TV on the ceiling, and I watched some, like, Dwayne the Rock Johnson skyscraper movie, and, I don't know, it wasn't so bad. Hmm. You know, my uh, daughter recently
1: went in, and they gave her, like, goggles to have <laughs> goggles. video screens in them. <laughs> yeah. What are we doing here, boys? <laughs> we need goggles. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, my God. Hold your breath. No, they got, like, <laughs> screens in them, and she's, like, watching a movie while they go to town on her mouth. That's the way to do it. I know. If they could just give, me, yeah. if they just gave me a little happy gas while I'm at it, we got ourselves a deal. That's the, VR happy gas. I'll be in that dentist seat anytime.
0: <laughs> Don't know how I haven't told you this. I bought a Valve Index last week. You what? And I haven't told you. You what? <laughs> have you hooked it up? Speaking of VR, yeah, yeah, I have. What's your first impressions? Beat Saber is my new favorite game. Have you played Beat Saber? no but if i got vr i would if i got
1: a quest which i know is not nearly as awesome mm-hmm. could we still hang out in the same places
0: is that a thing i don't know i mean i run the game from steam on windows yeah so yeah, yeah i think uh anything on the quest runs from
1: mark zuckerberg's bedroom but i'm not i'm not <laughs> sure about that uh well including the uh building access systems Right, oh, too soon! <laughs> I got big dreams though of us hanging out like in a virtual studio while we 're doing these shows, you yeah, know, like something really sweet, like the coolest studio you ever saw on like m t v cribs or whatever, virtually, and then we'd have like this ginormous stadium that the live audience could hang
0: out in all in v r well steam v r has this it's it's sort of like the holodeck brought to life. it is awesome, so you load up steam v r and you put the headset on. And you're stood in this kind of feng shui room with concrete and wood and glass and birds flying and you're on the top of this mountain and you just feel like you've just transported yourself. It's a bit like that scene in The Matrix where they open the door and suddenly they're in a completely different part of the world. It's pretty amazing. And the uh, the immersion is very, very impressive. Huh. So that. The Index has a couple of um, like headphones that kind of fold down. They don't touch your ears, but they sound really pretty good. It's like a, a pretty solid set of open-back headphones Okay. that you're wearing. And the nice thing is it means my wife and I, we can share the headset without needing, because, you know, I prefer in-ear headphones that go in my ear canal. She prefers like AirPod styles that don't. And so we always had to have two sets of headphones if we wanted to share before, but with the Index, we don't. Hmm. And you just hook it up to um, your PC and Mm -hmm. uh, does the rest, huh? Yep. A USB port and a display port is all you need.
1: See, I'm trying to, if I get into VR, I'm trying to figure out if that's the route I want to go. Or if something like the Quest is the route I want to go where there's, if I want, there's no PC
0: at all. And it's portable, which might make it easier for the kids to use too. You do need a good amount of space for the index, you know, sort of six feet by about 10 feet. Oh, yeah,
1: sure, sure. Yeah. So that would sort
0: of be a studio device, whereas the other one might be better in the RV. Yeah, I could see it, you know, in the room behind you in the studio. It would probably fit in there just fine. I mean, you know, mostly I just want
1: to play Super Mario. So if I could just get (laughs) Super Mario working on these things, I'm set.
0: (laughs) I did have a moment, though, where I loaded up Microsoft Flight Sim. And I was sat in the cockpit. I've got a, a joystick oh, from yeah! several years ago. Flight Ooh. sim in VR. And I'm flying. And I, I, I came into one of these scenarios they set up for you, like a sightseeing scenario. And I was transported instantly to this plane flying over Loch Ness in Scotland. And I looked down. And I thought to myself, I stayed in that caravan site as a kid. wow and it i then looked it up on google maps afterwards and i was like holy crap i was right that was the caravan site and you know there was the jacobite steam train going along the bottom of the campsite and all that so the uh the graphics in flight sim are, are truly remarkable and i i was quite struck by it because i remember thinking the first flight sim i played was probably ms 2002 uh, I think Concord was in that one. And I remember, it was. I think it was just before Concord was retired. And, it. you know, I lived in the south of England. Concord used to fly over my house every day. It was, it was awesome. And uh, I just remember thinking back then, oh, these graphics are amazing. How could yeah. they possibly get any better? And then I was struck wearing the VR headset as I flew past Ben Nevis, you know, at the, the same height as Ben Nevis, the tallest mountain in, in the UK. And I sort of looked to my side and I was like, huh, there's a mountain there and there's the campsite there. And I was sort of moving my head around in real time thinking, wonder where we'll be in 20 years. Oh, no kidding.
1: I've heard, though I've never seen it, but I've heard that the team also really nailed the Pacific Northwest
0: because obviously Redmond, their hometown area. Oh, sure.
1: If you want to fly around my neck of the woods, I guess it's supposed to be pretty accurate.
0: Yeah, they use this photogrammetry thing, which is based on the famously good Bing maps. Although actually it is pretty impressive. Like the 3d modeling and stuff of certain cities is, is truly spectacular. There's a few things like bridges over the river Thames, for example, that are definitely in need of some work, but they're issuing patches all the time and it's improved hugely since launch. So, you know, if you have a VR headset, you're thinking about buying one, I would say flight sims, probably a, a must play. Huh?
1: Well, now you really made me want one, Alex. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, you do that. We do these episodes, and I'm like, <laughs> I gotta get
0: that. Uh, it's t- it's easy to spend other people's money. I'll tell you that.
1: You know, I think we have a theme though today that could save people some money.
0: But I was about to say, you know, we're on the topic of gaming, and a listener wrote in with a project called Retro Nas, and I thought with the Steam Deck coming out soon that we might see a resurgence of handheld gaming, of retro gaming. You know, uh, people playing Mario Kart on handhelds as well as you know, Grand Theft Autos and all sorts of cool stuff. I know I know the Steam Deck can play some AAA titles, but I doubt that will be the primary use case for a lot of folks.
1: Oh, really? Hmm. Okay. I do like the idea of getting some of my retro games on the deck, so you're right. I, would, I will be
0: getting, like, a Super Nintendo emulator on that. Right. Thing. One handheld device that can play Nintendo games, Sega games, right. PC games, anything you can think of, pretty much. Because it's just mm-hmm. a computer, right? It's just a laptop, essentially, in a little handheld Switch-sized device. And wouldn't you think, within a short period of time, the Linux
1: community is going to have respins spins of SteamOS with oh, yeah. emulators baked in
0: and whatnot? The community for this thing is going to be bonkers. You think how big it is for the Switch. Now, the Switch is a lockdown platform. Think how big it's going to be for the Steam Deck that is free and open and running Linux, baby. I mean, how cool is that? (laughs) It might be the most exciting thing that's happening on the Linux desktop at the moment, period. Yeah, it could be. You're right, because it's also a Plasma desktop. So anyway, we were talking about RetroNAS briefly, and uh, this is a project which allows you to use any kind of Linux computer. So a Raspberry Pi, an old PC, a VM, whatever it might be as a network storage device for different gaming consoles and emulators. And at first I was like, isn't RetroNAS basically just Samba? Like, what is this project doing that a network share wouldn't do? And it turns out actually it's doing loads. So a lot of these older consoles require things like Samba version 1 and Apple File Protocol and all sorts of stuff that's been a long time deprecated for security reasons. And so what RetroNAS does is it you know, very clearly states, we are doing stuff that is insecure, here be dragons. But what they're doing is they're actually serving games up over the network using all these old protocols to all these old game consoles. And one example, we have several links in the show notes of the, uh, the project founder, his YouTube channel, Dick Freaks. Uh, there's one example here where he's actually loading up games and ripping ISOs from his PlayStation 3 storing the ISO on his NAS and then streaming the ISO back to the PlayStation without the disc in it to play it offline and basically DRM freeing the game forever. Oh,
1: that's the dream. You know, when the very first Xbox came out, I got on board that hacking train as fast as possible because <laughs> you could get the games on the hard drive and avoid the having to fetch the disc and the load times. This sounds like the sweet spot because you could get a Pi-powered NAS and then you could go pick up a used PlayStation, like a PS3 right now. How much could that be? And you could basically have trouble-free appliance gaming.
0: Hundred, hundred and fifty bucks, something like that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't even think retro when you know when you say retro gaming. I think even older than that. But
0: I guess that is retro. PS3 is ten years ago, maybe more. Uh, so the list of consoles that supported there's quite a few. So MS DOS and clones like Free DOS and PC DOS. Uh, windows 95 and up we've got apple gs and classic mac systems (laughs) atari st is supported amigas the nintendo 3ds so it's pretty cool to see a nintendo console on this list the ps2 the ps3 xbox 360 as well as many more are planned in the future
1: that is pretty neat you know i know i'm a i'm a bigger retro gamer than you are in part because i've just never really moved on (laughs) Uh, but also I like retro gaming for the exact reason you don't like it, Alex. Uh, I so rarely have any time to play. And games like Mario are so easy to pick up and play for 15 minutes and then put down again. Yeah. And so I've kind of been biased towards some of the older Marios because I can load them up on low-power devices, and they're great for road trips.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I still play... An awful lot of some of my favorite older games, retro games, but I've always been a, a PC gamer first rather than a console guy. Uh, my kind of god tier list of games is Factorio, Open Transport Tycoon, although the original Transport Tycoon I did used to play before Open TTD, Roller Coaster Tycoon, SimCity 4 is great. I'd say those four are probably my top ones.
1: As far as PC games go, I've always, always preferred games that support some kind of LAN play. I don't generally finish games, but if I can co-op or group play a game, I will finish that thing all the way to the end every time. I love that kind of stuff. And I've done some of these early games that required uh, IPX. Like a <laughs> I, 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 I want to say the first StarCraft I played wasn't over TCP IP on a LAN, but I, I want to say it was over like NetBui or... IPX or something that's just totally not even supported anymore.
0: Showing your age there, bro.
1: <laughs> I know. You're right, actually. Right? Do people even do people even know the struggles that we had to deal with with NetBui and the, the pain that Microsoft inflicted upon the networking world back in the day? No, nobody even cares. I don't even remember a time before TCP IP, I'm afraid. Yeah, and then WINS came along. and WINS was just supposed to solve it, but they had to have their own thing. They couldn't choose to use
0: DNS. Oh, my. Goodness, you got me all upset. Uh, the very first game, I think there's two two that come to mind. The very first games I ever played, there was a Stunt Car Racer. My nan had a, a computer with a five and a quarter inch floppy bay in it. Uh, that was on a, I can't even remember what the OS was. There you go, it was that long ago. But then the next one, the first game that I ever had really of my own, besides Lemmings at school, was uh, Monster Truck Madness.
1: Oh, okay. The first like game i I really saw take off, oh my God, I'm doing it again. This is your fault. It was organ Trail, organ Trail was really big when I was in school, and uh you know we had just green screens, green and white monochrome type screens, but it was green, and I remember playing organ Trail on that to the point where uh and it was a buddy and me, and we'd play on it, and then we'd leave it on and it
0: would. <laughs> It burned in on
1: the screen. <laughs> the CRT guy organ trail burned in on it.
0: <laughs> Oops. I remember seeing that like uh, betting screens in the UK used to have like CFAX pages. I don't know if you know what CFAX was, but it was like a, a version of the internet before the internet, but it came through the TV. I don't oh, know a better cool. way to describe it than that. It was, it was kind of fun. Like everybody knew their favorite page number, like uh, 606 for me, for example, was like now and next on the on the TV channels. Like, it came out with a little, like, N Curses-style display. It was pretty cool, now I think about it. Yeah, that sounds really rad. <laughs> but anyway, all the betting shops, there used to be, like, sports scores on FAX as a whole section. And, uh, you know, they used to have these CRTs burned in with these FAX logos and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the CRT burn-in
1: thing was real in the library in the school, too. Um, and, of course, the other game that was a hit back in the day was Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? It's coming out on- Yes, oh, I do remember that one. Played that on DOS all the way into Windows. I played that from the text era into the graphical era.
0: I was so young, Loved though, I didn't game. really know where any of the places were or how to even pronounce, yeah. like, Budapest, yeah. I remember. I was like, where is oh, That's miles away. It's Hungary. Goodness me.
1: <laughs> you know, it'd be fun to fire that up again, though. The, the nostalgia factor helps make up for the lackluster graphics. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't mind a game with low graphics because I can play it on a computer and and the computer won't turn into a ball of liquid metal on my lap. That's nice. True. Yeah, very true. All right. So, our very own, the orange one, is going to be hosting this weekend a matrix setup party. So, for those of you who aren't quite sure what matrix is, we're talking about the uh, messaging system, not bullet time, bullet dodging, dodgy reboot matrices. Matrices? Matrix I? Matrices. Matrices. I like matrices. I, I think that sounds better okay. to me. Well, if you're not sure what one of those is in the chat context, come along this Sunday, the 13th of February at 12 p.m. Eastern, and we will take you through, or certainly the Orange will take you through, uh, how to set up Matrix and Element and all that kind of good stuff and try and figure out exactly what decentralized chat is all about.
1: I mean, that's pretty exciting. You know, Matrix has so much damn potential. Uh, but it needs more users, and the chat clients just need more time. We have a matrix server at colony.jupiterbroadcasting.com, and one of the things you can do is you can self-host your own matrix server at your own domain, and then you can come join and hang out our matrix server using the account from your server. You also could just create an account on our server. We have that open to the public as well. But I kind of love it because I can go hang out. Um, like, I'm in a Red Hat matrix room. And I'm in there as Chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com, right? Everybody knows it's me and it's my domain and it's all – I love that aspect about Matrix. It's also – it's it's a Slack killer. It integrates with Jitsi and it'll do video conferencing and screen sharing and you can have individual channels. And you can have spaces that are groups of rooms and, and, and individual channels all in different kind of categories. Um, so we have like a self-hosted – channel we have a couple of them in our on our matrix server and uh, we have a channel for each one of the shows we have even have a channel for cryptocurrency all on our matrix server that's sort of like how we do it on discord as well and then the last thing i'll just say about matrix and because the orange one could probably tell you way more but the last thing i'll just say is they offer this technology called bridging and it's hit and miss but one platform it's actually pretty good bridging with is discord So you can bridge some of the rooms. And this is how, theoretically, we may want to do it one day. We could bridge the SSH feedback room on Matrix with the SSH feedback room on Discord, right? You just bridge, like, a couple of the rooms together. Not all of them, but, like, a couple of them. And that's totally something we might be able to do one day. And Matrix has bridges for lots of other services, pretty much anything you can think of, with various success. Uh, And hosting a Matrix server that has lots of users is kind of a complicated thing that we're always tweaking with, even just this week. Wes and I are uh, troubleshooting a few things on our Matrix server, which has always been an educational process. So I would totally say it's worth checking out, because even if you don't do
0: anything with Matrix, it's probably something you should know about. That's just it. Uh, So I came into the chat room a couple of weeks ago and said, Hey, I want to go to the Fosdem talks because they were running that through Matrix this year. What's an element? What's a matrix? Like, what's a riot? What do all the? How do all these different things plug and it? And it's really quite confusing, to be honest with you. So uh, yeah, this Sunday, thirteenth of February at twelve p.m. Eastern. Ironically enough, we're going to host this on the self-hosted Discord server. I thought so.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? I I totally acknowledge Discord is way simpler and has much simpler onboarding too, so it's easier for the admins and the users. Matrix is just, it's self-hosted and it's decentralized, and I find that extremely appealing.
0: There'll be a link in the show notes. Don't worry too much. Now, did you see this week that uh, Nabu have increased their prices by 30%?
1: yeah so hmm this i I have mixed reactions because uh I have been recently going through a period of reducing all of my subscriptions and trying to minimize how many subscriptions I have, mm-hmm. and they they've gone and raised the price right as I'm doing the math on absolutely everything. Um, I've decided to stick with it because uh I think they've already made some of the infrastructure improvements that they claim the money's going to go to. I think that's already been done, and I've already noticed. Things are better. And um, to be honest with you, I
0: almost feel like I should be giving them more money, you know, because right. I use the hell out of Home Assistant. So what they're doing is they're taking the $5, the optional $5 a month subscription for Home Assistant that you can pay to enable some cloud features, remote access, that kind of stuff. They're taking it from 5 to $6.50 per month. They've also introduced a new annual tier of $65 a month, $65 a year. I mean,
1: Right. $65 a year. And these prices all seem really quite fair to me. And if they had another tier, I may even, or or if they had some sort of annual donation drive or something like that, because I get utility out of Home Assistant in my RV and in my studio. And I, I use it here in the studio to help control and manage lighting. When I get here and I get to work, Home Assistant manages that. And Home Assistant manages the lighting in
0: my office as well. Like you say, I don't really want to see the price go up, but also now I stop and think about it and talk through it with you. I sort of think, yeah six fifty for the amount I use something I mean every day, multiple times a day, I am opening that app or doing something and it's it's a huge part of my life and I think um future houses like the the house my dad's buying I mentioned on the last episode we're talking about temperature sensors and lighting and you know it's gonna be the heart of everything you know around houses and rvs and yeah i do for the next 10 20 years so i want to see this project succeed and stick around and yeah if 650 a month is the price to do that then make it sustainable then great you know what
1: if they had a plan that was nine bucks a month that let me connect two home assistant instances because that's a problem like how do i do this when i have two different home assistants in two different locations, and I'd like them both to be on the cloud, but I don't want on the Nebukasa cloud, but I don't want to have two different Nebukasa
0: accounts. Nebukasa Platinum. Or I just
1: don't really bother with one of them, but yeah, exactly, exactly. Also, noteworthy, they've uh, hired two more individuals mm-hmm. uh, working on different aspects of uh, Home Assistant, including one's going to be working on more like YouTube channel stuff uh, and some Home Assistant front end. Um, I'll be frank with you. It's probably the old man in me. I have been doing internet content for 15 years, and I never like it when projects directly get into content creation. There is a space for it in terms of how-tos and guides, and if they're done correctly, I think they're useful. But uh, a lot of times it creates an echo chamber. and It's a hard thing to kind of wrap your head around, but there's a long-term effect when the project kind of becomes the source of the content creation. It kind of has a knock-on effect, a a kind of an ecosystem effect on the places that cover it, usually for the negative, unless they get it just right. We'll see. It's a weird use of the
0: funds too, but we'll see. What if rather than directly putting out content under the Home Assistant brand, this person almost becomes a, a consultant for other YouTubers to reach out to directly? You know, if they want to create a video about a certain topic, they reach out to this person and say, how do I have all these sensors average and connect to a thermostat or something like that. I would just adjust that slightly
1: to just say media outreach, because you got Mm -hmm. a lot of people writing about home assistant. you got a lot of people podcasting about home assistant. I would, I would open it up beyond, you know what, now that you say this, and again, we're talking through this. It's, it's the limitation on YouTube. Like the YouTube community creates a distorted reality of the user base. It does this to Linux. It does this for any project. The YouTube audience doesn't reflect the entire user base. And so you want to get out to other media outlets as well. And there's going to be a lot of people as Home Assistant grows that are going to want to learn and start writing about it or start podcasting about it. And so I think if they had somebody who was there to help those people get that stuff right, because a lot of times what happens is somebody will come along, they're going to start covering Home Assistant for the first time, they'll get something wrong. They won't understand why what, what decision, you know, three years was made. And so they'll interpret something that happens today and they'll get it wrong and they won't have the context. Because they're still learning, and that's just what happens and doesn't prevent people from making videos. And so if there was somebody at Home Assistant that had the time, the bandwidth, and the skill set to interface with those creatives and help guide them in the right direction, I could see that being useful. That could be a
0: good use of time and money. Now, the other thing we should mention about the subscription price increase is that those changes – don't come into effect for existing accounts for three months. So you get three months grandfathered in at the old price uh, before things start to go up. And just a last couple of notes about this Home
1: Assistant release that came out along with the announcement uh, on February 2nd about the price increase. They now show the size of your backups in the backup view. That's a nice little tweak. Apple TV users, the integration has been updated to support OS 15 and now can also launch apps. From Home Assistant. Ooh, that sounds kind of cool. If you think about like some automations or something, like you you know set up TV time and have it auto launch Plex or Infuse.
0: Yeah, because that extra click is real difficult. Oh come
1: on, <laughs> come on! You would be trying it if you if you hadn't got rid of your Apple TV. Come
0: on. Oh maybe, maybe. I mean, I've been able to do it on the Shield for years, and I never have. So maybe not. I'm 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 moving <laughs> in the new house, Chris. You know what I'm saying. That's true. I do know what you
1: mean. Uh Google Assistant integration can now be set up to use local fulfillment. Hey, oh. Um, I am still waiting, though. I was just telling you before we started the show, I'm still waiting for updates on uh the home assistant yellow or amber or whatever they want to call it, and like when we could kind of expect that for those of us who threw some money in. Because I'm looking at my home assistant setup and I'm thinking that's probably going to be the time I redo it is when I get that home assistant Amber and or yellow. And um, I just love to kind of know what kind of timeline I should be thinking of.
0: The home assistant burnt Sienna 2042 edition. That's what it will be. <laughs> Mike writes, I've been loving your show so far. You guys seem to have some pretty elaborate setups, which brings me to a question as someone just starting out in the self hosting world. How do you balance progress and perfection i frequently find myself at a roadblock in my setup because i feel like i need to be doing something the optimal way the first time and as a consequence i just never do it at all
1: mm, i can feel that for sure because uh when we when we decided to start this show i also had been working on this concept in part from a conversation we had with wendell about craftsmanship and i had decided that I wanted to take real craftsmanship in my self-hosted stuff that I do. And so I I really got in my head with that for a bit and also sort of struggled with perfection. And that saying is so true that perfection is the enemy of the good enough, really. Uh, and here's what I came to. And I wonder if what you do, Alex, in this case. But what I realized about myself is that I'll get into something deep. I will become... I I I'm so smart Alex. I a galaxy-sized brain here. I will become so informed on a topic. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And then I know all of it now. And I I arrogantly assume that I will remember all of it and then 6 months later I have forgotten 98% of everything I learned and I am a total smooth brain idiot. And that and I realize that about myself and now have decided that I must document while I'm at peak knowledge. So I must document And then I have also, if I hit a roadblock and I don't implement the perfect solution, I document what I thought I wanted to do and why I couldn't do it and what I did instead. So I can always work back if I I ever want to revisit the project and get it right.
0: You know, that was why I started linuxserver.io was it was actually just my personal blog writing down how I compiled that kernel. I think I was doing Unraid on top of Arch or something back in the day and documentation is just so important but uh i i was laughing so hard whilst you were saying that like i'm, I'm the world expert on this topic and then six months later i can't remember any of it it's so <laughs> yeah. true
1: <laughs> yeah and you just gotta like you gotta like learn that about yourself if that's how you operate and like the guys that are probably you know like really a level above us are the ones that retain it all right Mm -hmm. those people (laughs) i don't know how
0: people like wendell do it and you mentioned him in your in your little bit and yeah like he can just rattle off model numbers and serial and and you know specific kernels and builds and i'm like how do you remember all that stuff i can't even you know i bought a bag of pumpkin seeds to put in my banana bread this morning i can't even remember where that is it's been half an hour how do you Uh remember anything um It's really impressive. So
1: I think if you document where the shortcomings were in your setup, and then you just, it kind of gives you permission to proceed because like, it's like, okay, I've written it down. I've captured my thoughts. And you'll also find that you think through things a little more clearly, at least in my case, and then you move forward.
0: There is a phrase, isn't there? And this doesn't just pertain to IT, but it's analysis paralysis. And, you know, you can go down this rabbit hole with anything, you know, buying a car, buying a house building some infrastructure for your home, self-hosted needs, whatever it might be. And at some point, you've just got to stick a pin in it and say, right, this is the way I'm going to do it. It might not be the best, most optimalist way to do something, but at the end of it, you will have built something and you'll have gained some experience along the way of doing it. And, uh, you know, in six months time, you may well decide, well, actually, I shouldn't have exposed that particular service ov- over the internet without a password, for example. Maybe I should put it behind <laughs> a VPN or put it at least that sounds behind… sounds like a rough lesson. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I've admitted on this show before I ran remote desktop open to the internet and the password was 2-2. That was it. The numbers, 2-2.
1: <laughs> what, what could go wrong?
0: What could go wrong? Bizarrely nothing. But, I mean, a lot could have, you know, and nowadays… Uh, It makes me rather scared that I did that for as long as I did that. But anyway. Oh, man.
1: So many things. So many things back in the day, Alex. So many things. You know, the internet was a different place back then.
0: It truly was. Now, Mike, you've got to think about... Is there any value in just sitting there twiddling your thumbs thinking about stuff? Yeah, some. But there's going to be a lot more value in making mistakes. You'll learn to fail faster. You'll learn that... You know, this particular building block doesn't fit with that one. And actually, I need to do it this completely different way. And you'll just learn so much more by doing it. So my advice, such as it is, would be start small, solve a real problem that you have, and uh, then just start building on top of it. Maybe write a little bit of automation to do it as well if you want to, once you've done it a few times manually and kind of got the hang of it. Uh, and after then you'll, you'll be surprised within, you know, a few weeks, just how quickly these things start to snowball and start yeah. to build on top of each other. You know, to tie it all together, if you wanted a project, if you've been, if
1: you've been wanting to get into something like this or take your skill set up to the next levels, you mentioned automation there. And the orange one is doing that get to know matrix session. There is a super popular deploy matrix on a system using Ansible going around right now that. uh Does a pretty good job. Wes and I were taking a look at it, and we think we may actually use it in the future. And so that could be a great opportunity to combine your uh, peanut butter and your chocolate and, uh, you know, learn a little something about Ansible, learn a a little something about Matrix.
0: I ate my first PB&J this week. Your first? First one. I'm not even shitting you. Like, I've never had one before. (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay. Tell me. Okay. Hold on now. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Tell
1: me about the bread. I got it. We got to start at the beginning. What kind of bread was it? Uh, And where was it? Was it at
0: home? Homemade bread. You know, after the pandemic, I'm a a bread bro now. I'm a world expert on bread, you see. What kind of peanut butter? (laughs) Jif. Okay. Crunchy or smooth? Crunchy. Yeah. All right. Now, did you
1: have uh, any problems tearing the bread? Tearing, why do I need to tear well, it? Well, sometimes when you apply
0: the peanut butter, the bread can tear. Oh, you know? no, no, so no you if you're noob, it's proper bread right. with a good gluten structure, dude. Tell me about the jelly. Uh, it was grape jelly, it was very nice. Although huh. you know, the, the, the English grape people are probably sat here going, Jelly, it's actually jam, grapes. you know, it's what we would call jam.
1: I mean, grapes are right, grapes are right. Um, it's okay. So, how thick's the bread? Uh, about
0: the thickness of a finger.
1: Okay, all right, so not too thick. Chunky. Not too thick.
0: Nice Now, crust. what's
1: your ratio of peanut butter
0: to jelly? I just did uh, one slice covered in a you know a, a reasonable thickness uh-huh. of, of PB, and then the yeah. other slice covered in a reasonable thickness of J. Slam those bad boys together and- Now, I need to know what a reasonable thickness is, because I actually go a little heavy on the J. Oh, about uh,
1: 37 microns. I don't know. <laughs> help, help. Were, you, were they equally How we proportioned? This? Was there, was there,
0: it's important because you need slightly
1: more jam to get the moisture ratio right.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. We don't have yeah. a standardized jam measurement system in this country though. I mean, you like to measure things in feet and inches. Maybe we should say I me I scrape my jam in eight elbows thickness. You measure an American. What you do okay. is
1: just put some on there and then put a little bit to where it seems like too much. Yeah. And then that's just right. Okay. That's how you do it. Okay. So what'd you think of it though? For, consider it a beta, but would you, don't consider it the final word on peanut butter and jelly, because let me tell you, you can really take those things up to 11. Like <laughs> okay. there's some toasting
0: <laughs> techniques you can do and stuff that'll really take it up a notch. But what'd you think? It's a delicious, delicious sandwich. It is a beautiful mix of sweetness and gooiness. and, oh, where has it been all my life?
1: Budget friendly, yep. Quick to make, yep. You could take, you could take the loaf and the peanut butter and the jam, and you can just bring it to work or bring it with you. I mean, it just the porter It's just, it's great. <laughs> Kids love it too. So, anyways, moving on. I just, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> that was great. I'm still trying to
0: assimilate into your culture.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you haven't done yet. That's a big one. I wish I could have been there for that. I didn't <laughs> know. Had I known, I would have been there. But I'm sure we'll find some others. Well, I've never bought any tactical pants. I've still got to do that. Okay. All right. That is something. You're going to love tactical pants. It's all about the phone storage capacity. Okay. <laughs> you ever wanted to have your wallet in your pocket and not even feel it? Tactical pants.
0: Well, my wallet is about the thickness of three credit cards as it is, so... Oh, yeah. it's Yeah, you've worked on it.
1: Good, good. All right. Well, Luke liked it last week when we talked about self-hosted music options, but he says, I just wanted to add one thing. The Subsonic compatible clients are a lot more polished than the Jellyfin ones. Uh, So he says, check those out. There's some shims that let you use the clients with Jellyfin um, on iOS or Android and um, gives us a couple of links that we'll toss in the show notes. You know what? I have good memories of Subsonic, and I know that that's gone a couple of different directions over the years but for just a brief period of time i had subsonic downloading all of my podcasts and then i was streaming them using apps from the subsonic server and so i could kind of keep my play position synced across across all my
0: devices using that it was so great now sam writes in and i think this is a question for you chris my partner and i are about to embark on our first ever week-long road trip around the north coast of scotland the scottish 500 We've rented a van conversion for it and will be out of reliable cell service for much of it. I've got about three weeks of time and a drawer full of Raspberry Pis and USB hard drives. Do you have any recommendations for a quick and dirty mobile media server uh, to keep us entertained in the evenings after a long day's drive? Hmm.
1: So you're going to need uh, mobile power. So you're probably going to want to look at like one of those Yetis or uh, not Yetis. What are they called? The Blue Yeti. Jackery. Jackery's another one. Yep, there's several of those portable power units. You're gonna want something that uh, is easy for you to charge while you're driving. Like you could plug it into the cigarette lighter while you're driving, and then um, I assume they have them over there. And then you just run it over. You know, you have full charge, and you just run it while you're parked. Uh, and then I think you're also gonna want a LTE router, like the um, I can't remember which we what we've recommended before. You probably do, Alex. That little that little uh, Slate router that we've recommended before that you can actually use to to do Wi-Fi and also manage the LTE connection. The GLI net. Yes, thank you. Because you're going to need networking. And then you could connect the Raspberry Pi directly to the TV using HDMI out if you're adventurous like that. Um, Or you could get something like the Fire Stick or some of the other, or maybe if you already have a set-top box at home, you just bring it with you. And because uh, you need something to get the uh, picture onto the TV, and that's it. So you need power, networking, and a way to get it on the TV. And then for the Raspberry Pi, what I would recommend, since you're only going to use it for a road trip, right? It's not like it's going to be like your setup for five years. Load the thing up with some USB storage on a hub. It works. I know it's crazy, but you can you can take a USB hub. You can plug a couple of like one terabyte discs or two terabyte discs in there. And then like a maniac, what you do is you just use ButterFS on those because it's a Raspberry Pi. You're not going to want to use ZFS, trust me. And you can just join those two disks together as one volume. So if you got, say, for example, two one-terabyte external disks, I recommend SSDs if you're in a van. um, It'll show up as a two-terabyte volume. And you could get those off Amazon or if you maybe already have them, something like that. And that'll work great. What about even more simple than
0: that, just a laptop? Yeah, and especially if you don't have a TV in the van, right? Or a tablet. It's got speakers. It's got a battery in it already. Uh you won't need any networking. Well, if you got an iPad too, you could do like the yeah. Plex Sync thing. Yes, Plex Sync. Does the iPad support playing videos back from USB storage? I would imagine it will, right? You could use Infuse on the iPad to do that. Yeah.
1: Lots totally. of options.
0: Yeah. And the speakers on the iPad Pro are particularly good, I must say. Yeah
1: really depends on what you already have it, depending on the mm. hard because you could depending on what you have if you got the pies I mean really if you got two pies you could have one be the NAS and you could have one set up as uh, you know connect to a
0: television playing the videos not everybody's a double pie wielding maniac like you Chris <laughs>
1: Some of us are.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he says he's got a drawer full, actually,
1: right? So, or she, oh, they he, yeah. say they got a drawer full. He does, yeah.
0: in fairness, say that in the, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> in the question. So I actually kind of, I I kind of feel like I might consider then uh, setting up like a Kodi or something like that on a Raspberry Pi. I mean,
0: I mean, unless you already have a set-top box, then I'd probably go that route. Thanks for the question, though, Sam. Lots of feedback this week, so thank you all very much for writing in. Um Several more of you wrote in about the East Coast Spring Meetup that I kind of floated as a, as a vague idea in the last episode. Uh So enough of you wrote in that I think we're actually going to do this. Uh Provisionally, I'm thinking somewhere around the start of April in Raleigh. Uh, I'm not entirely sure when, what type of food we'd have. Probably like a brewery where we can all just go and get snacks and beers and that kind of thing and be outside oh, awesome. so it's all safe. Right, in these times, and uh, yeah, so just keep an eye out on the meetup page for that. I'll obviously announce it in the show as well, and see if I can't convince a certain Mr. Fisher to fly out as well, maybe. I imagine it's pretty pretty nice there in April, right? Apart from the like pollen, the pollen can be pretty bad, but uh, hmm.
1: it's, it's- I don't know if that gets me too bad. It's beautiful I mean, weather. Yeah, oh, like a self-hosted fest kind of thing. Which uh, normally in April, like I'm gearing up for Linux Fest, but there's no Linux Fest this year.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. We need our Linux meetup in, in April.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you to our members, our SREs who keep the show going. You help keep it independent. We get to be choosy about our sponsors. We truly like and use Linode and TailScale. So we can wait until the right sponsor comes along and pick to work with the sponsor we think is a good fit for us and our audience. Our members give us the leverage to do that. And when you sign up at selfhosted.show slash SRE, you get an ad free version of the show and an extended version of the show with a post show at the very end. You can also support
0: the entire network and get access to
1: all of the network shows ad free at jupiter.party.
0: And as you well know by now, selfhosted.show slash contact is the place to go to get in touch with us. You can find me on Twitter at ironic badger. You can find me on Matrix
1: at chrislas. Boom! Oh, I think. I don't really know how you find me on there, but join me on there
0: and say hi. (laughs) And as always, thanks for listening, everybody. That was self-hosted.show slash 64. So I've been working on a self-hosted
1: project deep for about a month, and we haven't talked about it because it started as me learning how to self-host a Bitcoin node and a Lightning node to do payments. And it's evolved into this new offering to do self-hosted services. Uh, so it's called Umbrel, U-M-B-R-E-L, I think. And they're kind of positioning themselves as a Linux-based... It's essentially what what uh, Home Assistant does with the Supervise setup. They have a master container, they use Nginx as the, as the proxy, and they orchestrate the containers, the apps that you download from their app store, Really what they're doing is they're just pulling down Docker containers and launching them and updating them and restarting them. Um, And it's they're picking some really cool apps. Um, It's got Matrix is one of them, but it's got VS Code, of course. It's got a bunch of Bitcoin stuff for people that are into that, like a ton of like self-hosted Bitcoin stuff, which I've been geeking out on Um, all kinds of things. It's a really cool app. So I think we should do a segment on it at some point in the future um brent could also join us for that because he's played with it a little bit as well you mentioned it in the post show with me when brent was here yeah yeah i'm still i've still been playing with it i've done uh, like three upgrades on it now it does look pretty cool the uh the ui is
0: very clean it's very nice it
1: is it is uh the other thing that is awesome is over time we could set up channels between each other and send sats back and forth for free, <laughs> which is really cool. Uh, but right now I have uptime Kuma installed on there and I have helipad, which is a messaging uh, system for uh, boost messages. And I have uh VS code server installed. And then I have like a whole bunch of Bitcoin apps, including uh, one called blue wallet, which I run here on my iPhone and I've configured it to connect over Tor to this umbral instance where i am hosting not only my wallet but i'm using this bitcoin node as my source of truth about the network and to to submit my transactions so it's like i am my own bank uh it's so cool and it's all connected from the phone over tor so like i don't have to worry about firewall port 40 or anything like that it's it's pretty slick so i've got about a month in with it so i'd like to have a little more time because uh, I'm troubleshooting something right now. I'd like to figure that out. But then at some point, could do a segment on it. Not like a long one, probably, because not everybody's going to be interested in the Bitcoin angle of it. But there's some stuff in here that applies to everybody. could be worth talking about.
0: You know, I've been thinking about doing a uh, a NAS OS of some description hmm, off, yeah. off and on for years now. And this looks like it could be a really interesting kind of platform to build something like that on top of. Uh, Photo
1: Prism is one of the apps. Next Cloud, your favorite sync thing. <laughs> tail Scale's on here now, so you can deploy Tail Scale. Home Assistant, you can actually use this to install Home Assistant. Yeah, it's kind of nice. And so they have a, a script you can install on top of an Ubuntu system where they have an image they make available for a Raspberry Pi. And then they have like an aluminum
0: enclosure with, a, with a, like an LCD screen on the front that they sell. So in that episode uh, a couple of weeks ago, I actually built a blank Ubuntu VM. It's been sat there ever since. Oh, right. Waiting, for, waiting for this moment. So I
1: think we... there's a script
0: on an Ubuntu system you can just go grab. That's or what something? I'm doing right now. I or a, like, yeah. I just took Check a snapshot shot on Proxmox. I have uh, downloaded the script. Okay. I've step one. I've downloaded the script. Step two. I'm going to run it. Oh, yeah. Pseudo password. What could go wrong?
1: <laughs> script requires
0: docker to be installed god damn it
1: oh yeah 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 and if it's ubuntu you gotta have to do some work on that
0: too because yeah, uh, there's always it's never simple is it this stuff it's always you think oh I'll, I'll just try and do this live on air <laughs> and then that happens. could possibly go but wrong? you should try it let me know what you think and then and then at some point we talk about it there used to be a one-liner for installing docker uh, i can't remember what it is they have i think something on their github yeah, I'm gonna go and look in my wiki. I'm gonna go and look in my documentation from when I was the world expert on that particular topic. Yeah, I'd be in stitches with that during the show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know how it feels, though, right? Like you really absorb all the info and in things. Yeah, and it's funny too because, like, for years I'd think, "Oh, I'll never forget this. I've I've gone so deep. I care so much. I've thought so much about this. I can't possibly forget it." And some of that's true, but like the resolution's turned way down
0: for sure. That's it. That's a really good description. What you need is that like TV style FBI enhance button for, yeah. <laughs> for your memory.
1: If you could like plug into a VR headset and it like analyzes your memories and then replays
0: them back in higher resolution. All right. Docker is now installed. I'm now installing a bunch of other prereqs: FS Watch, JQ, Curl, Git.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of stuff.
0: We won't be there. So when it says start Umbral on mainnet, what does that mean? So you have, you could also run it on, there's a
1: Bitcoin test network for testing development. Um, So you're running it as a script. So what I've had to do from time to time is I go back in that directory and I've had to like stop or start it or do an update from there. So that's the stuff I'm still figuring out. So um, they have an update option from the UI. That's been working for the last two updates. But for one update, I had to go down to those scripts and I had to do the update from there, which they make totally doable. They make it possible to start and stop everything using the script, and it's not bad at all. I just would prefer it to be all done with Docker Compose and not some shell script, you know? And I would have preferred to be able to run it on CentOS and not Ubuntu,
0: but I don't mind. Well, Compose is a a prerequisite here. I just had to go and install Compose. I think they're using Compose on the back end. Oh, okay. Right? But you still
1: need their little script to, like, orchestrate it all. And it's fine, except for it just feels like it kind of takes over your box. And I would just prefer to just have everything in one big Docker
0: compose. So once I've got this spun up, which it will be spun up any second now, it's downloading a bunch of Docker containers whilst we're talking. Uh, What do I do next? There's a test net, a reg test. I think if you don't do anything, I think it just goes on the mainnet. But um, you want to be on the mainnet. But
1: then, so the first thing it'll do is it'll sync the Bitcoin node. uh, And that'll take a long time like three days possibly oh god uh yeah and then you come back to it and you well you could actually install a bunch of the apps but any of the apps that require bitcoin node information will have to wait for the sync to finish
0: i only gave this vm 32 gigabytes of disk is that going to be a problem
1: yeah you probably want like 500
0: 600 gigs oh, okay <laughs> all right i will mount it via samba there you go you see Now you're really getting in. I mean, I already have the space. I may as well use it for something. You're committed now, though. Now you're committed. All right. It says your Umbral instance is now accessible. at This IP address. Oh, look at this little animation. Oh, this is kind of cute. Yeah, they've done a nice job. Yeah. If my NAS OS looks even half as good as this one day, which I'd have to start building it first.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to get ideas, I suppose. Um, And then uh, you're running a node on the Bitcoin network, so you're also helping to add secure
0: decentralized consensus to the Bitcoin network, too. Slight issue. I'm going through the wizard, and it won't let me uh, go next on. It says, you'll need this password to log into your umbral, but it won't go past that page. uh, Uh Uh-oh. Is it password complexity stuff? I don't know. Oh.
1: Maybe. I have a, I had, I generated a password from Bitwarden, so and it's, they're all super crazy.
0: Yeah, nah. No. Oh yeah, but this is only local, isn't it?
1: It'll set up a connection to Tor, though.
0: This must be super boring for people to listen to.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. We could. Uh, you just have to tease us with something. Tease us, you know, give us a good tease, and then next time we'll tune in, we'll find out what happened. Oh
0: yeah, find out, <laughs> find out right? what happens
1: next Stay tuned time. Tune in and find out <laughs> on self-hosted. <laughs> <laughs>